They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa, uh, the podcast where I talk to random people on the internet, except they're not my brother, and he's not that random. Um, I have two guests today, so before I let them introduce themselves to the world, do a little bit of housekeeping here. Um, for my $15 or more patrons, they are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin C.V., Mike the Gatherer, and Tyler Freshcorn. I like to thank them by name because of the tier that they're in. I have three new patrons as of this morning, Kim LaPlante, Shore Hanson Gusted, and Laura Light. Thank you guys so much for uh, chipping in, and I hope you enjoy what you're hearing so far. Um, chipping like, in. I see what you did there. Ah, you like that? Yes, thanks for chipping <laughs> in. For chipping. Um, <laughs> that's good. Um, and uh, like a lot of my shows, this one's brought to you today by Cinema Spection. It's the first podcast I ever was on. It got me addicted to doing this. Um, that's run by Tim and Corinne Luz. They go deep on movies that you guys love. Check them out at cinemaspection.com. They're a great couple of people, and they put on a great show. So without further ado, you guys, um, introduce yourselves. What's up, y'all? I am Scott Thomas, a.k.a. OG Scotty T on Twitter and Instagram. I am an actor who doubles as a Psyduck enthusiast and host of the <laughs> Infinity podcast. I really am, man. It's a disease. Oh, I'm it, so happy right now. And, and it is Jesse, our other guest, who coined that phrase for me. And I am running with it like I'm Usain Bolt. That is, <laughs> that's the energy I'm taking into 2020, hands down, no questions asked. All Ask right, me so about my spec script. <laughs> immediately, we need some background on this. So tell, tell okay. what's going on. And welcome, uh, you guys. Well, well, welcome to the show. <laughs> Uh, thank you. So I'm Jesse, and uh, I run another podcast called Recorded Tomorrow. That I love is, the name, by the way, thank you, thank you. Uh, it is all about uh, time travel and how to effectively. Oh my God, are you serious right now, Furnace? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You know yeah, I'm I'm currently listening to Doctor Sleep. The, the novel <laughs> so anything involving furnaces and the shining and all that it's like oh god don't let it blow up man <laughs> let it blow up yeah i'm i'm recording in my garage which is nice because it means that you know i'm not bothered by or i'm not gonna you know be interrupted by my wife or my roommate but it kind of sucks because it means i get interrupted by the furnace and the water heater that's all right uh, <laughs> it's our third guest. Hello, Furnace. I bet Hello, you had furnace. Some, had some hot takes, as it were. Oh, yeah. God. So, <laughs> wow. That's excellent. We're on it. <laughs> <laughs> so where the Psyduck enthusiast thing came from was uh, I was having Scott as a guest on my show, with uh, which I co-host with my friend Jonathan Liu, who writes for Geek Dad, and you should all check him out because he's great. Um, and... This was right around, this was during uh, when House of X and Powers of Ten was in its initial run. And Scott had done a series of reaction tweets that were all just Psyduck. And one of which was like him like doing a Psyduck impression. It was just like a, a, a FaceTime or a, a, a selfie of him going, Psyduck? <laughs> and I thought it was great. And that that had just happened like that day. So when I introduced him on the show, I introduced him as actor, podcaster, and Psyduck enthusiast Scott Thomas. 
That's awesome. <laughs> so, so is there fan art now? Have, have we this? <laughs> oh God, there needs to be Scott, Scott Psyduck fan art. At, I, add that. <laughs> I will cry. I will absolutely cry if and when that happens. I, you, I will. I will tell you guys that my original Christmas plan. So I'm holed up here in Chicago editing a pilot for a podcast that I'm producing for a network to be named. Ooh. And I didn't really know what to do with the day itself. I love basketball, knew I was going to watch that, but wanted to add a social media component. And so my plan, which failed miserably, was to get myself this teeth whitening device, which I need because I'm an actor, that lights up. It's got a blue LED light. And yep. to order that talking Psyduck plush from Detective Pikachu and just get that photo or Instagram story, just whitening the teeth with the glowing blue light <laughs> and a small plush Psyduck making noises next to me while basketball's on. Of course, Amazon, the one time they don't prime, it involves teeth whitening and small duck plushes. But it's really, I've, I've fallen head over heels for this little duck and I'm working on a Detective Pikachu spec script sequel <laughs> called Inspector Psyduck. <laughs> let him be the Clouseau of that world and let it uh, what's her face whose name I'm blanking on of course because I'm on the spot basically be in the front page. It's the front page and Ace in the Hole but with a Psyduck and Christmas. I love it. Movie. What else can you do? Oh it's going to print money. Let's make it. <laughs> <laughs> Announced here so it's TM'd. It's TM'd now. There I think go. that's how yes. copyright Law works. Trademark. Inspector Psyduck. N oh. Nintendo. Nintendo. At least they don't try to shut down podcasts. Like we don't have to worry about um, <laughs> getting shut down. Like we're on YouTube and, oh, and just say, saying the word Star Wars, and then Disney comes in and goes, "No." <laughs> right. <laughs> so speaking is, of Star Wars. Oh yeah. Speaking of Star Wars, Scott, you just saw it last night. I sure did. What do I you think cakes. of cats? What do I think of? Oh, oh, <laughs> I, so I haven't seen cats yet. <laughs> I that haven't seen mean, cats yet. It's about a great cats? failure of my week. <laughs> it's the great failure of my week. We will be covering cats on the Infinity Podcast. Pretty hardcore. I'm going tomorrow morning sober. Both of which are probably mistake ways that to see like that movie. Seems like a mistake. <laughs> but so what's going to happen is you're going to see cats. Uh huh. And you're gonna come out of it, and you're gonna go to the bar at the movie theater, yeah. And you're gonna you're gonna get trashed, and then put yourself back through it. Yeah, so yeah, and then go see it again. You're like that was such a mistake, but then you're gonna get drunk enough and go. You know, I remember it not being that bad. Why don't I try it again? Yeah, <laughs> you know who can act? Taylor Swift. That Taylor <laughs> Swift. <laughs> I Oscar saw time. the. Uh, I saw the clip of the Rebel Wilson. Eating the cockroach person, oh and then God, so did I. Reveal a dress on top of another cat suit, and I just—I don't know. I don't. I've never done any hard enough drug to know what a bad trip is like, but that has to be it. So, who would have taken the over that Tom Hooper's cats would most closely resemble 1977's Japanese horror fucking free for all house like? That's oh the only God. point of reference I can think of. Have you guys seen that movie? I haven't. It is an unbelievable film. Basically what happened is this director, again, his name escapes me. I'm going over 2. He had his five-year-old tell him a story 
Yeah. And then he started turning that story into a film, and it's one of the most surreal movies I've ever seen. There's severed fingers playing piano, and uh, someone turns into a mound of bananas, and the whole thing has zero logic at all, but the imagery is just head-spinning. And every time I see a clip from Cats, the more and more clips I see from Cats, I think of House. I think of House with musical numbers, which I'm sure if the kid had seen a musical at that point in his life, he would have broken into song and he would have been forced to incorporate that in the house too. Like, that's what I'm expecting. And I have a feeling I'm going to get my money's worth. Oh, you know, an employee that I work with um, in my day job told me that he went and got drunk with his friends and saw cats. And he said he's everything he could have imagined it would be and more. (laughs) So... Um, so the funniest thing I saw about cats is on the day it screened for critics, which was the same day as star Wars. So last Tuesday, I think it was, um, Tom Hooper, who uh, apparently this film had been like taken away from him and the producers had like taken control of it after people reacted so badly (laughs) to the original (laughs) trailers and they tried to sonic the hedgehog it and like fix the cg so tom hooper on tuesday this the guy who has like been nominated for academy awards in his lifetime posts i just saw the final edit of my film today at 2 p.m i'm sorry oh (laughs) it might have said and said like it speaks for itself but it was something really like 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 stab backstabby you know what i mean like i'm angry but you can't say it (laughs) <laughs> and it's just like holy Jesus. Now the question wow. is, you 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 know how to tell if you've seen the patched version of it or not, right? No, right. It's the wedding ring. Did you know this happened? No, I knew the edit yeah. happened. So yeah, there's a there's a shot with Judy Judy Dench, and she's fully catified except for her human hand with her wedding ring on it. Sweet mother of God. There's also scenes where you can see people in green suits running around in the background carrying um, uh, props. In in the words of a great MTV VJ, how sway? How does that happen? It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I, I do love the segue into this, though. You just saw Star Wars, so how did you like Cats? <laughs> <laughs> the star wars cats comparison is great i really like the review it was like just got out of star wars had nothing to do with the eight hour movies terrible cgi way too many musical numbers <laughs> and why and why is everybody cgi to look like a cat this doesn't make any sense and why is ian mckellen here uh, <laughs> i uh I liked so so this has become a cool new thing um over the weekend or not a new thing but something I've seen popping up. Someone did a great one where they took a a picture of the poster of Descendants with George Clooney, that really <laughs> like depressing like family movie. Yeah. And okay. uh, then showed the Descendants 3, the Disney kids who are the children of this of the villain villainesses and villains um, movie and said what the hell happened to Descendants 2? <laughs> and I was like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> I love stuff like that. So, no, hey, what, what did you think of Star Wars? I, I'm, I'm going to be on someone else's show to go deep on the whole series. So I don't want to spend, you know, two and a half hours about it. But uh, what, what did you think? I have so many thoughts. 
and <sighs> I don't even know where to start. But can I start with something I realized this morning? Yeah, this sure. This isn't a take on Star Wars. This is just something I realized this morning about Star Wars. We should have seen this coming because in The Force Awakens, there's a character named Ben. And if there's one thing that J.J. Abrams likes doing, it's redeeming toxic men named Ben. I'm going to point to Felicity. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, she travels through time. And then Ben still gets to ask for forgiveness at the end of one of the most batshit hours of television ever. Lost, we've got a Dharma stooge slash evil mastermind named Ben who is literally last seen looking for forgiveness and trying to prove he can be a good person and let go. And then it all boils down to Ben. On this go-around, the emotional core of the film is Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, however you want to refer to him. I think it's Ben Solo now, given where this thing ends up. I like Kylo Ben. Kylo, oh my God, yes. Make it trend. (laughs) Make it trend, Kylo Ben. I... I think I've seen a lot of stuff going around about like J.J. Abrams doesn't know what story he wants to tell or it's just a mess. And I think that's being a little reductive. I think actually this is a very J.J. Abrams ending for worse and occasionally better. And I think we should be looking at it as such. He made a film for one of the characters that is about letting go and it boiled down to the male character. Those are two J.J. Abrams tropes that you see in everything. And I say that as someone who loves J.J. Abrams in spite of some of his decisions. So that's something that dawned on me today. Like the Ben complex that seems to permeate a lot of his films. I even think Walter from Fringe is basically an older Ben, right? Like a man who's ultimately got a lot of toxicity, but you want to believe in the best version of him. And through Walter's Walter's middle name was Benjamin, wasn't it? Yes. It yes, was. it was. Was it really? I just made that up. I think oh, it I was, think it though. Was. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was. J.J. Abrams has a thing for Ben's. I don't know what happened with what, Ben in what his, his life. Is his, he's got to have somebody named Ben, like a, a nasty uncle or, uh, or yeah. something. Yeah, truly, truly, there's got to be a Ben in there somewhere. But to your to your point about uh, JJ not knowing, people saying that JJ not knowing how to tell a story. I think that JJ knew exactly what story he wanted to tell, and I think the problem was that the Last Jedi didn't fit into it. I think that if you were to take the Rise of Skywalker, stretch it out to four maybe five hours and cut it in half, you would have had JJ's episodes eight and nine. Hmm. And I think very fair. Um, I, I agree with that. Yeah. And I think that he just, when the last Jedi happened, he didn't know how to work any of that stuff or he didn't know how to adapt the, the two extra movies that he was thinking of making, the big three arc that he wanted, he didn't know how to fit The Last Jedi in, so he just compressed it all and stuck it on the end. And I, for my part, I will go on record publicly loudly say that they did Rose dirty, like, real bad. That's actually my only um, angry thing. And I'm, I'm super mad about, about that. There's stuff I don't like about the movie. Um, but I, I look at Star Wars as an entertainment delivery machine, 
Mm-hmm. And as an entertainment delivery machine, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's big, dumb space opera, right? Any extra, <laughs> any extra story that we add to that is our takeaway. And, you know, as fans, that's what we do, right? We, we sit around and think about what happened before. I mean, Star Wars beckons you to do that, right? The, the opening title crawls between films beckon you to go, what the hell happened? Like, I see mm-hmm. the word, but I want to know what got me here, right? And that, that's why Rogue One works as well as it does. Um, is because it's filling in a gap that we actually needed filled in. Um, it's it's interesting. Whereas yeah. some of the prequel stuff, um, until it really kind of finds its footing in what Lucas was trying to really tell as a story in the third one, which whether you like that story or not, he kind of jammed every theme he wanted in one movie. Mm-hmm. You know, which was kind of what we're stuck with here, right? Um, it th- their entertainment delivery machine. Somebody said to me. Uh, the best comparison they could find for how they felt with the rise of Skywalker was that it felt like a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And mm, they said, it, okay. and they said, it, and they said, and not a bad Pirates of the Caribbean movie, like the last two, like hmm. the Gore Verbinski Pirates of the Caribbean movies were like, I have a lot of ideas. And at the end of the day, what I'm really trying to tell is a big, fun, swashbuckly story, but I have all this other stuff to fit in there and I'm just going to speed my ass through it to keep you entertained. Yeah. And that's a really good way of describing it. Um, but yeah, Rose Tico got out of anything. Like I'm not really one to lean into the camp of directors, not liking each other or not liking yeah. the, of the other director. Like I got out of the last Jedi going cool. It's just like the original star Wars trilogy. George mm-hmm. Lucas made a movie and then helped come up with a story and a different director and creative team made the second movie. And then Return of the Jedi was the same thing. Someone new comes in and has to make this story happen. So The Last Jedi was a cool, it wasn't even a course correction. It was kind of going, I'm going to take these themes and I'm going to leave some of them that I didn't like or were underdeveloped over here and develop this stuff. And the biggest fault of this third movie is you had a guy who's actually quite a big fan and has quite a lot invested and probably had ideas of where he wanted to go. Like you said, coming back in and going, well, shit, how do I get there now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And I, I, <laughs> I agree. And actually, like, I think that the biggest faults of the film are when he looks to the past for answers as opposed to a way to push things forward. Mm-hmm. The parallel structure you're talking about, it hit me for moment one. Return of the Jedi opens with Palpatine coming out of nowhere and setting the tone for the entire film. This film opens with Palpatine coming out of nowhere and setting the tone for the entire film. We talked about there being a lot of echoes of A New Hope in The Force Awakens. He doubles down on that here. For my money, it would have been more engaging, interesting, and surprising to have Palpatine just be a mid-act reveal. I could have lived with that, and I think it becomes a better, more effective film. Do I actually hate Palpatine's presence? No. No. The whole idea of Force Awakens has been about the new coming out of the old. And it makes sense to touch base on everyone with what J.J. Abrams was building. I don't necessarily love the way it happened. But saying he has no place there, that's not in line with what he was setting up in the first film. I do think he laid the groundwork for that pretty significantly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree basically with all with both of you. Um, I think it, it didn't go the way I wanted it to or hoped it would. 
but that's fine. I didn't make the movie, so I, you know, I still enjoyed it. Apart from, as you say, you know, I'm I'm legit mad about the the treatment of Rose, but you know, otherwise, all that was fine. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it was. I think I can't wait to hear you all talk about it on your podcast, Scott, because I know Patrick hated it. Lividly, lividly, and, and I, I haven't I don't read know. any of the articles like about the parentage stuff. <clears throat> I've been keeping myself sort of yeah. added remove and distance on purpose. Yeah, what Rachel, think of it. I don't know. She okay. hasn't shared over the text thread yet. If we're talking <laughs> Rose Tico yet, can I throw one idea out there for you guys? Please do. Absolutely. Do you think these movies switched protagonists? Which is to say, is the protagonist of Last Jedi different than? The Force Awakens and uh, Rise of the Skywalker. I almost called it Return of the Skywalker because, yeah, basically. <laughs> I was. I, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, no, go, you guys go for it first. Let me. I'll, I threw the question out there. I throw I, it out. Hey, I, I think, I think you could make an argument that it does do that. Um, but I think the reason we're stuck with that feeling is 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 what you hit on right at the beginning. J.J. Abrams, for all of his faults and all of his greatnesses, didn't get to tell the story fully that he wanted to tell. He set up the pins. Another director was supposed to come in and carry that torch. And then someone else was supposed to come in and finish it. So him coming back in to finish it, of of course you're not going to want to throw the toys and ideas that you had away that you came up with in the first one. So the unfortunate mess that J.J. is stuck with in trying to incorporate that is going, okay, I've got Finn and I've got Ray and I've got Kylo Ren and I'm starting my force awakens movie and I'm doing my constant mystery box misdirection thing because I don't (laughs) want you to know which one of these people the movie's about. He even takes about half of that movie to reveal which one of them is a Skywalker, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, he, he really spends a lot of time playing with those those ideas that you're going to want to know so the trailer has spent a lot of time showing finn with a lightsaber but then finn's not the one that ends up taking up the lightsaber and fighting at the end and all of this misdirection game that he likes to play with the last jedi stripped all that away and said no this is a movie about this this is a movie about these themes and these thoughts and he comes back in and goes okay now what am i doing well i i kind of want to still play around with that a little bit so, so to me, I, I think you're right. Is Ray is the focus of the Force Awakens, but it's very ensemble, and then it's very focused on her and Luke and their relationship in the Last Jedi, and kind of forgets about everybody else. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just laser focused. But you can tell, like the Canto Bite stuff, almost feels like Disney kind of going, "Okay, second unit directors here. We need to stick something in here that's fun with the other people." But then you get Rose out of that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, movie kind of starts with that being like her story, right? With like her sister dying. So you're like, okay, this is a new character we're going to learn a lot about. And then this movie comes along and does the same thing. No, I got these three characters I established and I need to make it be all about them again. And I, yeah, it, it's kind of like bipolar in, like, <laughs> in that respect. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a take I feel like I'm workshopping, which is a phrase I've gotten used to saying over on the Infinity Podcast, <laughs> which I borrowed from The Ringer, and I'm going to keep it going here. But I agree with you. I think that assessment's really sound. And I thought watching this that it's ultimately a switch between Ray and Ben to some degree in the mm-hmm. sense that Ben may not be the protagonist of 
Force Awakens, but he is the emotional center. Ultimately, Ray goes through the hero's narrative, but the major emotional beats, the ones that devastate and shift the ground for us as fans, rest on the hands of what Ben Skywalker does, literally him chopping his father down. When we get to Last Jedi, we're introduced to a protagonist who might genuinely be nobody and not come from lineage. And that makes room for other characters who are nobodies. Mm -hmm. Finn ostensibly is a nobody. He's an everyman. He's a stormtrooper. And Rose is someone who simply endured tragedy. And by the end of it, they've caused massive chaos. They've leveled a whole system that was keeping people enslaved. And so in the world of Last Jedi, nobodies can truly turn into heroes. And that's not the world we return to in Rise of the Skywalker, because it's really not the one that J.J. is interested, and forget Bloodline for a second, I think he's interested in the capacity for people to change what they believe they are, the box that they're in, to go back to a mystery box idea. I can't remember the name of the woman that Finn winds up with for most of the film, Jana. who we meet on Endor, Jana, with Jana, but there's another, there's a woman who's been branded an Imperial and is trying to change that, is trying to change her narrative and becomes a hero by the end of it. He's really interested in these reversals of character and people being forgiven. Rose already knows who she is, and I don't think he f she fits with his idea of what an interesting character is. I don't think it's fair what happened to her because there was really interesting stuff building there. And I wonder if part of that's why it happened, because ultimately the narrative focus shifted as did the thematic themes that he wants to get at with his characters, and he didn't know where Rose fit in. But it objectively sucks because she was so special and such a wonderful addition to the lineage. I think a and big piece... Go ahead, Go sorry. Ahead. Uh, I was going to say that I think a big piece of it comes down to each director's relationship with nostalgia for the Star Wars movies. I think J.J. Abrams was the perfect director for The Force Awakens because he was able to give you, uh, be, be able to come on and say, hey, we understand what you loved about the original Star Wars trilogy and we're going to give you exactly that and make you feel good and make you trust us that we know how to make a good Star Wars movie. And then Ryan Johnson came in and said, yes, those things are great, but you don't need them. And we can tell you a great Star Wars story without all of those things that you were clinging to so hard. You don't you can let them go. And then to come back with J.J. to come back and say, yeah, but we're going to give them to you anyway, because isn't this comfortable? Felt like a bit of a letdown. And, and that's 100 percent why I think everybody's reaction to it, not everybody's, but why the reaction to it is so middle ground, you know. Or, or or to bad on it is that you get you get a and it's it's a perfect show of exactly why I still tell people that I think Disney and Lucasfilm in particular are cultivating that they're still giving directors movies where they're in control. I'm not saying that they came in and didn't fuck around with this. Who knows? They're never going to speak. Ryan Johnson, JJ are never going to say how much of what ended up on screen oh, was sure. tampering or how much was theirs, but just notice how different of a look these, these two movies and the middle movie have from each other. Mm -hmm. The last Jedi is a beautiful looking movie. 
it, it's, it's a beautiful movie but the force awakens and rise of skywalker are incredible looking star wars movies and that's the two differences i i look at a shot from the rise of skywalker a shot from the force awakens and what jj is doing is he's using the best available from ilm now and making it look like an old star wars movie Mm-hmm. You know, using really great creature effects, really great digital effects. It's it's all incorporated. And there's a through line, right? Both of these movies look identical to each other, but it's the same people in the background doing all the work. It's not like a Transformers movie or an MCU movie where a lot of it's pre-viz and already figured out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you can even see this in the MCU. Look at how different each director gives to the use and look of the effects. Look at how different... Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok looks to Avengers Endgame, right? They're, they have a very different look, and I like that, but because they brought the same guy with the same um, view of Star Wars and the same view of the story in, it's not necessarily anything antagonistic in him. He's just coming yeah. in and making the type of Star Wars movie he wants to make, and that feels like so much less after the growth that the last jedi did for better or worse whether you like dislike what it did this just feels like so much less of a movie even though i ended up so really enjoying it um but the rose tico stuff is unforgivable whoever's decision it was to do what they did with that character i'm just gonna hope and and pray that i can just blame it on chris terrio because i hate him so much (laughs) 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 i I think that a good uh a good potential way to uh, close this part of the discussion out is to realize and to be grateful that as as much as we may, you know, not enjoy certain parts of this, can you imagine at least we know how much better this is than if they had stuck with Chris uh, with Colin Trevorrow? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Colin Trevorrow, again, again, <laughs> having the exact same problem that J.J. Abrams has they share the exact same problem because Jurassic world succeeds because of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. I really like Jurassic world, but Jurassic world is an empty fucking movie that succeeds (laughs) because he, he hits all the right visual cues. He hits all the right musical cues. His characters are just wooden and empty enough to fulfill the roles they're supposed to fulfill. You end up having a blast with it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But Colin Trevorrow is he was he was doing what JJ did with Force Awakens, but JJ is a more experienced and better director. I mean, look at how much better of a job JJ did with Rise of Skywalker than he did with his second outing with Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? He just yeah. couldn't help himself with that second Star Trek movie. And while I think it's a visually breathtaking and fun little movie, the minute it reveals the okay this is obviously calm the whole time and we're just playing you it's terrible after that because he's just he, there was there was nothing more to it than we're just gonna we're just gonna do con it's gonna be great we swear and he's kind of like uh this is boring whereas i think if trevorrow had gotten to close this out he wouldn't have he would have been even more um unable to deal with the the tools that have been provided to him oh, because yeah. he's He's really only good at aping someone else's visuals. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I'll transition it into something else that I was thinking about this morning because I just finished The Mandalorian a few hours ago. Which I haven't yet. 
I won't spoil anything. Okay. But do we know who directed the final episode of The Mandalorian? Taika Waititi. It sure is. Really? It sure nice. is. And I will just drop the lukewarm take that he does a bang-up job. I think anyone watching that episode who thinks it isn't directed to the nines, I'm not sure what you're seeing. Because for sure it's directed to the nines. But one thing I was thinking about with that show, no matter what you make of it, is it's been consistent thematically because ostensibly there was a writing staff. You didn't have this bounce back from writer to writer. And ultimately, no matter what you made of the direction, there was a consistency in the theme and the kind of story that was being told. Some people would say too much, like, uh, there's little change from episode five to episode six in terms of the kind of story we're telling. But I think you you arrive at the end of the season with a cohesive package. And that's part of what we're talking about, right? This roller coaster of not just filmmaker, but the roller coaster of writing, of theme. And I wonder how that would have impacted the trilogy as a whole, the Skywalker trilogy as a whole, if all the writers had come together and tried to mash something out. It still could have been a mess, but I wonder, (laughs) because I do think what J.J. Abrams does behind the camera in this movie has some pretty spectacular moments. Uh, I I thought your assessment was really great. It's not as pretty looking a movie cinematically, but there are moments when the motion of this film was absolutely breathtaking. Just the way he he navigated the spaceships in that Finn, Poe, Chewie shootout. Like, I was on the edge of my seat. That was just good filmmaking, some of the best filmmaking that J.J. Abrams has done from a purely visual kinesthetic point. He does. He utilizes ILM the way Spielberg does. It's it's a very like they're like an extension of him. <laughs> it, it, it's incredible. The shots. You, there's no shot in any of these movies where you sit there and go, "Oh, that didn't look good." Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's very cohesive. And some directors don't do as good of a job. They, they really don't. And I do think this film's going to get the return of the Jedi treatment from the youths, as it were, because. Like, I don't think any of the girls that made Ray the most popular Halloween costume of this year, which I know because I work for a trivia company, statistics, they're fun. It, <laughs> I think they're going to walk away feeling pretty satisfied by this story. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to see this movie and go, nah, screw that. I'm going as, I don't know, I don't, I haven't seen Frozen 2. I can't remember any of their names. Elsa. Uh, go as Olaf, shake things up. But I don't think they're going to stop going as Ray because they saw this movie. And I think the people that fall in love with Baba Frick at a young age or the cone-headed droid, like this film 10 years from now is going to have its defenders who go like, yo, that movie was actually pretty great because I think for people who are less concerned with Last Jedi, they're just in the throes of Palpatine and on the entertainment delivery ride of this film and really enjoying it for that. And I think it'll be interesting to see how it appreciates over time. But I imagine kids who are on the come up with this are going to feel pretty good about it in a decade. And that matters too. Exactly. There's not a single one of these movies that if it popped on TV right now, I wouldn't watch it all the way through. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. and that and that to me at first, first place is exactly what I want from a Star Wars movie. My favorite thing that I've been noticing is that the people that are the most angry, I guess, um, over it seem to be um, 
you know, of a certain age group. It seems to be like, you know, your 20 to 40 year old guys like us, you mm-hmm. know, that spend, spend a lot of time analyzing and knowing and talking about what's happening behind the scenes. I mean, if you want it to be there outside of the Rose Tico stuff, which some, someone needs to fucking pay for that. I don't care who <laughs> it is, but outside of that, there isn't much in this movie that even if it's a little tongue in cheek, isn't just, you're right. This is the story I wanted to tell. This isn't that I don't like the movie that came before it. I just want to find a way to tell this story. The last Jedi, I feel the same way. I know that Ryan Johnson and JJ Abrams worked very closely together when he was coming up with that script. I did not walk out of the theater of the last Jedi going, Oh man, he fucking hates the force awakens. I definitely walked out of the theater going, Ooh, somebody doesn't like a certain part of star Wars fandom very much at all. (laughs) I definitely felt that way coming out of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But I liked that. I like that we can have a movie that can shake it up, but I also accept the fact that if they're all that way, that if every single star Wars movie is, I'm not going to say the word antagonistic, but if it's, if it's thinky, like imagine if all three Lord of the Rings films were return of the King. <laughs> right. Return of the King earns its heavy drawn out themes. Right. Mm-hmm. But if they didn't already drag you in with the fun of like, you know, the, the fellowship and then like the action of the two towers, you know, if everything was the Cimmerillion, if everything was someone going and I'm going to give you a deep dive on the background of the elves. Right. It, it, there's some fan out there that's going to love that. Right. I mean, I would probably love that, <laughs> but you're not going to please an audience. So to end a trilogy out on a crowd pleaser when again at the end of the day this is what nine movies mm-hmm. of which six of them are pretty damn good to troublesome one of them is pretty good but troublesome and the other two are oof um even though i still will watch them whenever they're on because <laughs> it's a star wars movie i'll watch any star wars movie mm-hmm. you know pod um, race baby it's yeah, you got me yeah you know Great. what I mean? And, I just and the end, I just want to play that game on my N64 instead. Yes. And the end of, <laughs> and the end of Attack of the Clones is some of the best um action George Lucas ever put to screen. You know, yeah. so you you can't you can't take that away. I mean, that movie, the ending scenes of that movie created some of the best Star Wars in canon cartoon shows and a really bad one. Mm. But yeah. <laughs> you know, so um uh I don't know. It, it, to me, you're right. It's it, it, the point I was trying to get at is people that saw that were like 12, 13 years old and saw the original New Hope in 77. When I hear from them, they love this movie mm-hmm. and they love this trilogy. You don't get a whole lot of anger out of them. You do get some that go, I'd rather see more of the characters I like than these new people. Okay, that's fine. Of course, you're going to feel that way, you know? Um, and then I find really young kids, like you said, the ones dressing up like Ray and and dressing up like Kylo Ren and all of that. It it's you know, and of course Kylo Ren was going to get redeemed because little yeah. children are dressing up like him, right? It, <laughs> Vader, they they you know they ended up writing a semi redeeming arc into his thing because oh shit, people are dressing up like this guy. We can't have him be freaking space Jason. We can't, <laughs> even though Rogue One gave us space Jason, which I thought was awesome. I've never heard that term, and I love it. It That's is pretty great. Thousand percent what we get, one, right? Yes. And and I turn to someone and I go, "Holy shit, he's Space Jason!" Like that's everything <laughs> everybody who grew up with Star Wars wanted to see Darth Vader do. Is it I also implies see- that Matt Frewer could have gotten murdered in the middle of that movie, and we wouldn't have blinked. And I love that because Matt Frewer should work more. 
I just wish yeah, that happened. <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, we've, we've been on Star Wars for a bit. But yeah, that's how I feel about it. It's, it's, I think this, I'm working on this project where I'm going to try to release pre-power rankings for the month of January, like what I think is going to be in the zeitgeist. And there's no question to me that this is number one for the oh, yeah. whole next oh, month of January, yeah. which is why we've spent so much time on it. We're not going to stop talking about this for a mm -hmm. month. And that in of itself is an accomplishment. Like this film is going to make the discourse not only about it, but discourse about the discourse. We're going to be eating our own tail at the start of 2020. And there's something to be said for that, whatever you want to attach to it, that he gave us a film we have to talk about. It's on our podcast. We talk a lot about the homogeny of Marvel movies and the benefits and faults of that. You can't say that about this trilogy. Like ultimately there are distinct visions and you have a severe reaction to what happened. And I would rather that and cats as a, uh, what was it referred to? A cursed double feature. than I would just seeing something that's middle of the road and that's not it. A failure or success over mediocrity every single time. And it, this isn't a mediocre movie. It elicits a very strong reaction, whether you love it or you hate it. And Definitely. that, that I, and you know what, the, without blowing what the ending shot and the ending line of the movies are, I was at one point rolling my eyes and groaning and also going, yeah, you know what, that's that's how they kind of had to fucking end this. This is awesome. Like, all same. at the same time. It, it it elicited both reactions from me, like, oh, you had to, didn't you? Oh, but at the same time, yay, this is what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Mark of an effective film. <laughs> and, and and I will say without without blowing it um, for anybody else, but you guys will know what I'm talking about as soon as I say it. There was a return of a character that was not at all leaked or talked about or anything. <laughs> in this, that yep. because because I have a a particular um particular things that have happened in my life in the last few years. There are reasons why Guardians of the Galaxy two. I absolutely love and I know a lot of people absolutely hate it, but that movie speaks to me on a very, very deep personal level. This movie has a bit in it just like that. And I did not see it coming and it broke me. And so I can't, I can't fault anything fully that much about the movie. Cause it gave me that without, uh, it, without spoiling anything. Is it, uh, is the cameo you're talking about? Nice shot Lando. <laughs> oh no 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 oh, i know okay. the one you're talking about i know no, the one you're talking it, about too it's it, it involves the fight on the uh in, in in the water on the death star remains and right after ray and kylo have their oh. big yeah which i, I didn't gotcha. know was gonna happen it should have been obvious to me that it was gonna happen but it didn't hmm. it, it caught me by surprise too and that was Honestly, probably my favorite moment of the film. It, it is. It's the best written moment in the whole film. Um, it, best it's, acted it's moment. And there's a lot of that. Holy shit, are there times in this movie where <laughs> Adam Driver and um, Ray, brain, actress. She's Daisy great. Ridley. Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley. I finally are, got a name. Are, <laughs> elevating, <laughs> are, are elevating some of the camp <laughs> so mm -hmm. well. Because so, some, sometimes there's shit that just shouldn't have worked. And, yeah. and they did they did a great job with it. Um, so so mo moving on to uh, um, to something before we get into more stuff, I wanted to say, could you guys 
tell me a tiny bit each about your shows. Um, cause since I, I know a little bit, but you know, why'd you start them? How long you've been doing them? Why don't you start Scott? I absolutely will. So I have a show called the infinity podcast. That was actually a spinoff of a podcast called on the rails. The point of that show was to try and tackle pop culture by playing a drinking game that my guests didn't know the rules to. So we would sincerely <laughs> attempt to break things down, but ourselves break down as we did it try to get past sort of talking points and into really tricky conversations, the kinds you do have at a bar at 1 a.m. And my co-hosts of Infinity Podcast, Patrick Willems and Rachel Corky Shank, they were my first guests. They did not know each other. They had never been in a room at the same time. I just knew Avengers Endgame was supposed to be the first topic. And enough people reached out to Patrick, Rachel, and myself all independently and told us that the three of us needed to do a show like that on the regular, that we decided to start the Infinity Podcast, which would broadly look at how pop culture fits under Marvel's umbrella. Sort of see it as, you know, everything happens underneath it. How do these things tie back to the Marvel movies? What impact are they having on the way we digest pop culture at large? What has been formed from that thesis is sort of a Frankenstein's monster <laughs> of pop culture stuff and references that is now as heavy on cats or Taylor Paul Feig or Taylor Swift as it is Marvel movies. Even when we go back and rewatch them, I think in real time, the podcast is evolving, even though it will always keep one foot planted in Marvel. And it has been uh, really the greatest gift of my last year and a half. I met Jesse on Twitter through that podcast, and I can say that about several people. It has been there for me when I haven't had acting gigs, and I have had acting gigs, and it's still a joy to return to the podcast. And it's inspired me to start a second podcast all over again and really commit to the medium more. So that's sort of the show as a short version. And I met Patrick, it's a fun story, making videos that then went viral because he's a really great filmmaker. We did What If Wes Anderson Directed X-Men together. It's so good. Oh, that oh, I love it got... so much. That was us, yeah. That was us. Oh, I'm that's the... awesome. He's... I love Are you... that. Scott is Cyclops. I'm Cyclops. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Yeah, and I still get... <laughs> I've done a few things that like are publicly visible, like a movie A24 put out. I got this HBO show coming out next year. I still get more people... The, it's skin, which yeah, I've seen that too. Oh, dude, I'm in that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so wow. All right. I'm, I'm one of the, I'm one of the Nazis in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, had a, I had a big scene where I beat up Daniela McDonald, and that got cut. I was like, <laughs> pretty much my character in a nutshell was I don't like fat people. His words, not mine. And the director wisely was like, uh, "There's too much toxicity in this movie. We can cut that." I'm like, "You are correct. We can <laughs> cut the hell out <laughs> of that scene." For me to film. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I felt uncomfortable. I almost broke her making that scene. So I'm really glad it's out. It We did it in a hospital. I know this is a tangent. We also do that a lot on my podcast. We this did a this podcast a about Marvel movies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we did this in this hospital that I don't know if they weren't prepared for us or if they were too good a hospital. The floors were really, really slick, like really polished. So I'm glad they've been cleaning up after themselves. But by the same token, staging a fight in that space is really not a good idea. And though we did our best to rubberize it, 
we were our backs were up against the wall. We'd realized that as the fight was meant to happen, the 17-year-old kid that was supposed to land the final blow, Russell Posner, great actor, it did not make sense for him to be taking her down. So the fight had primarily been between Daniela and I. And last minute we went, okay, let's let me finish it off. Why not? So we reblocked the whole thing. We're going for it. It's just not going very well. And Danielle and I kind of agree. We're like, okay, so let's really go for it this time. I trust you. You trust me. Let's do it. And I go to land the final sucker punch. And Daniela slips, falls back, and somehow, somehow lands right on a craftsman tool chest that was oh. not moved far enough out of frame. Her head just slams into it. There's like the longest three seconds of my life before a guy yells, cut. Okay, somebody check on Daniela's head. And I'm like, oh, fuck me. I broke patty cakes. I broke patty uh, cakes. I'm never going to work on another movie again. Oof. And that's another reason I'm happy it was cut. Because as much as I would love having it in the film proper, I don't need to go back and see that when I watch Skin again. I mm -hmm. just brings up bad memories for me. And so that was my big scene, the scene where I had most of my lines and it out. So works out for the best for everybody because I think it's a good movie. <laughs> it was a good movie, actually. Yeah. I, I, I have a tendency if I see A24 on something to just watch it. So that's, Same. that's usually what happens. <laughs> Same. It's the only reason I saw The Hole in the Ground, and that's one of my favorite movies I yeah. saw. Yeah. Love it. But yeah. Yeah, that's that's me basically, and and what I've been up to, podcasting and playing Nazis slash bruise technicians played <laughs> <that I> <laughs> of this last year. Well, wow. I, I need I need to be on your show. Oh yes, yeah, it we're finally like gonna fun. start having guests, and <laughs> we can make that happen for sure, for sure, for sure. All right, so now uh, recorded tomorrow. Where, oh, where did that come from? Shit, I should have gone first. I don't know how I'm gonna follow that. <laughs> Just make it up. It's completely different. Yeah. My, my show is a show where we figure out the movie's going to suck before it happens. <laughs> it's like it's like freak crime. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, so Recorded Tomorrow is a it's a show about essentially, uh, like I said earlier, it's about time travel and uh, sort of the 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 rules, pitfalls and sort of tips and tricks for writers who want to use time travel in stories um to to basically use time travel as a tool for good storytelling um and it came about actually as it started as a like pseudo ted talk that i did uh for a like just a, a local uh, community thing out here in portland um somebody was putting on a uh a group of presentations that was like a, a set of Ted talks, but it was all focused on um, gaming and like board games and RPGs and video games and stuff. And uh, they asked me to do one. So I just came up with something on the fly, like, all right, I'm going to do how to use time travel in games and came up with a pitch and outlined the, the ways that time travel can work and all of that. And uh, it was really fun and it got me thinking about it a lot more. And so I wanted to try to, find some way to keep that going. And at first I was going to do something uh, like on YouTube uh, animated, like extra credit style with some, you know, me on a pun, a uh, podium or something like that. And then yep. I remember that I can't draw. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so that sort of went, went the by. And uh, then I was going to do a podcast where I like 
try to teach my then fiance the rules and explain things to her. Um, but that sounded a little bit too mansplainy and I didn't, didn't want to go there. Um, oh, and then, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, my, one of my friends, Jonathan, um, found out that he was really into time travel as well and read a lot of books. And I mostly come to it from a games and movies perspective. He mostly comes to it from a books perspective. So I thought it would be a cool synergy. So I brought him on board and we turned it into a podcast. And awesome. uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, we like the first we've been doing it for about a year, little little over a year. Um, we're both very busy, so we only publish about once a month. But um, the first year or so was about sort of laying the rules, like setting down, um, you know, here are the type like the rules of time travel, whatever you're you know, whatever they are, however you want to use them. These are the things that you should stick to. And then moving forward, what we're going to be doing mostly is taking basically uh, specific examples like movies or a book or a comic that make either really good use of a particular rule or really bad use of a particular rule and doing a deep dive on that. We did one recently on uh, predestination. Nice. Which, yeah, which was... We use that as a really big deep dive into um, that particular set of time travel rules, which on the show we call it fixed thread. It's essentially the Bill and Ted time travel or the prisoner of Azkaban time travel where, you know, what you do has always been done. You're just kind of switching perspectives and the, the, the timeline doesn't actually change. Right. And, and uh, your predestination is like the platonic ideal of that and it's also hmm. a huge mind fuck <laughs> yeah that's awesome i have you watched um the the watchman show i haven't um, okay I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing i'm also doing a show on that with some friends too but it, you i would love i guarantee you you're going to want to do an episode on that yeah Cause, same because because dr manhattan's rules mm -hmm. from the comic and However, he's utilized on this show. If you haven't watched it, they describe it really well. Yeah. And, and visualize it really well in the show and use it as a plot device. And it's so well done, but at the same time, so confounding because it follows <laughs> that. Well, because he's everywhere all at once and every time all at once, it has always happened. Right. And you're like, uh, but what? <laughs> and, <laughs> And they, they do a very good job of visualizing that on this show. Yeah, it's um, on my it's it, definitely on my list. It's I don't watch a ton of television, so take this where because I just don't have time. And, sure. and I'm a, and I'm a, and I'm a movie guy and I have kids, so I, I choose my thing. But it is pr one of the best pieces of television I've ever watched. And I hope they don't make any more of it because it's made by <laughs> Damon Lindelof, who is a J.J. Abrams guy. <laughs> and if we all know anything from either of the two of them, if they actually have the balls to end a story, but they leave a little bit open, just stop. Let someone mm -hmm. else take it up like five, ten years from now. You did it. You actually finished something. I, I, don't, I, I don't need any more. Please, don't ruin really it. we really need no. a third season of Lost? No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that season. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. It, it, it's, it's, you just can't help yourself at that point, right? Yep. 
So, oh no, so, um, so be, because, um, you know, I, I eventually have to go back to work, but I want to make sure we get to a topic. You guys, um, remember that I'm a big fan of the movie primer and <laughs> so you've both seen it now. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. So, um, uh, recorded tomorrow podcast. Uh, what did you think of primer? I think, and this is, again, I've, I've seen it one time and it was yeah. last night. So, uh, a so I, <laughs> I might have to go back and give it a, a few more viewings, but it felt like, it kind of felt like they spent so much time focusing on figuring out the mechanics and being consistent with how time travel worked that they forgot they were making a movie. Yes. And they forgot they were telling a story. You definitely just watched primer for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Cause, cause I still feel that way about the movie, but it's one of those things that, you know, have you ever seen the movie cube? Oh my God. So cube similarly, you know, is directed by written and directed by people and every movie, the guys that made cube made, (laughs) <laughs> they want to make sure the science makes sense mm-hmm. and they want to make sh- and so cube if if you break it down mathematically like the 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 traps and the tricks and everything and like everything they say about how it was made it's like as an engineer i sat there and went holy shit yeah that's 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 how you do that and primer has the same i won't mm-hmm. call it a problem but same um same uh attention to detail yeah. but you're right primer Primer has no interest in whether or not you care or are interested or understanding what they're doing or talking about because they want to make sure they describe this time travel machine to every level of detail humanly possible. Right. And it it felt like I guess it felt like the the movie makers assumed that they were one step ahead of ahead of everybody the whole time and that people would be people would be so um so focused on keeping up that they would not be focused on the storytelling. Yes, that is definitely a good, a good takeaway. And, and maybe it's just because of, you know, what I do and how much time I spend thinking about time travel and about mechanics, but I had no trouble following what was going on mechanically. So I was able to observe and watch that. Oh yeah. There's no story here. Like there's supposed to be a story here. Like it's supposed to be about how having this thing can tear a pair of friends apart and and how having this great power and disagreeing on how to use it can cause that kind of friction. But they just didn't do anything with it. Right. They almost leave those important bits out. And so mm-hmm. they even inferred. I, I do agree with that. It it has the um have you ever seen Memento re-edited and, and put in order? No, I haven't. Holy Why would you do that? Have, have you? No. Okay, so Memento did this really cool thing where when you bought, when the first time they brought out like a Criterion special edition DVD mm-hmm. and you had to get to the menus, you had to solve like puzzles. So it was really <laughs> frustrating, but it was really cool. I remember this time. actually. And if you followed the puzzle the right way, it played you the movie in um, time order and it's boring. I was just going to say like, why would you watch that movie? There's no movie there. It's fascinating, but it's boring. (laughs) And so 
Primer is is an example of that. Primer, I feel like, would have um, benefited from them having a little bit more, um, uh, not respect, but a little bit more um, expecting that more of the audience would would be like you and I, and mm-hmm. and actually get the mechanics pretty quickly, and kind of rearranged, reorganized its delivery of story, to or or you know to make it more interesting because it um. It's it's a very technically well made independent film, and God, mm-hmm. their 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 science and everything is super cool, and it's, sure. it's interesting, and it's a cool take on on time travel. But I agree. Um, I will say that it benefits from multiple viewings because it okay. just gets more it just gets more fascinating the more stuff you pick up. <laughs> but um, but it it's definitely one of those movies that it infuriates some people that just can't get the mechanics. And then people that get the mechanics usually say the same thing. But what was the point of all this? Um, which is interesting. So I'm, I'm just glad to talk to someone that's actually seen it. <laughs> it's been so long since I saw it. And as you guys were talking, I started thinking about when it came out. And remembering that I think part of the hype behind Primer was it's the indie resuscitation of this genre. Right? Mm-hmm. Like and yeah. for a while we did that. Blair Witch is the indie resuscitation of horror, and Memento is the indie resuscitation of the detective film. Was like, Memento you... an indie film? Yeah, it was. Holy it was. shit! It's hard to. Memento was Chris Nolan's second movie, and the yeah. first one didn't have a theatrical release. So yeah, following I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so Memento is really indie, and these things got slotted for a while. as like you think you've seen a detective movie? Well, pull up your pants because you've seen nothing like this before. And like that's what Primer was supposed to be too, with time travel. And it is in the sense that I don't think any other time travel movie has ever doubled down on the mechanics so viscerally. And I think that was sold as kind of being the sexy thing about the film. And it Mm -hmm. isn't really the filmmaking. I think there is filmmaking there. But when science is as necessary a language to you as cinema, cinema is only going to go so far, which isn't to say it's a bad thing. Because I think actually Cube is a very compellingly shot film. I love Cube. I love Cube. I hate Cube. Oh, really? I love Cube. It elicits the same reaction. Have you seen Splice? Oh, yeah. I hate so Splice is two thirds of a phenomenal film. Yeah, the Splice, first what, the first what, two acts. Like, what you don't like? What don't you like about the third act? I would throw away the entire third act. Just it 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 doesn't it doesn't pay off anything that the first two acts set up, and it just it goes into like it felt like they just really wanted to make it a monster movie for no reason when it could have been. It could have just been this this psychological take and this this um, sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? This existentialist thriller with, you know, what are we doing and do we have a right to do this? And this creation that we made, you know, what is this thing? And and then they just turned it into a monster movie. And it I didn't like how like super rapey it got. I didn't like yeah, that. The, was the I thought you were going to say, because I, I loved Splice. But I remember like getting out of the theater and going, I never want to watch that again. And yeah. I never want to tell anybody that I liked it. Like because the first they're gonna watch it and go, So you're into this? No, 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 you know, you don't get what I'm getting at here. <laughs> yeah. And and like when uh, you know, in the in the first two acts, even like when the dude sci- I don't remember anybody's names in this, but when the the dude scientist like has sex with the thing, that's uncomfortable. 
but well, you he had sex get with it. His kid. Yeah, no, oh. it's it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's gross, but you you get it, and you sort of you you start to put these things together, and then the third act, I just when I got out of the movie, I just wanted to take a shower. And that's they're the guys that made Cube. That's why I bring it up. Okay, <laughs> that was supposed to be like their big skyrocket into genre filmmaking <laughs> in theaters. And I will they concede. Went, no, no, we want to make the weird rapey monster movie. Here you go. <laughs> I will and concede, they, Scott. Yeah. As as much as as much as I didn't enjoy Cube and uh, felt like it was a punishment inflicted on me by someone, I will concede that it is beautifully shot. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I also haven't seen Cube in a bunch of years, so I could go back and be like, wait, I love that movie? What? <laughs> I, no, no. I, if you love it, you're going to continue to love it. I also will say, I didn't realize that he's the same guy that made In the Tall Grass. I googled what he's been up to. So, like, he just doubled down on weird. He's like, okay, yep. so I'm going to start with a movie about a cube that kills people. Now I'm going to make the rapey monster movie. What's the follow-up? Murder Grass. Let's go with Murder Grass. Like, Why not? Murder Grass. I don't know if you guys saw that. I didn't mind that movie one bit. I didn't. I haven't seen it yet. Ah, it's worth it. It's just not the most inspiring review. Ah, it's worth it. It's <laughs> worth it. If it's on. Have you seen the sequels to Cube? Oh, Hyper Cube? No. no, fuck that. That shit guys. just gets weirder, dude. So, random story. Uh, my One of my friends had me watch Cube. He brought it over. And he was like, it's this really cool movie with like puzzles and people are trapped in a in a in a weird prison and nobody understands it. And he hadn't seen it, but he just like read it, read about it and uh, thought it was going to be awesome. And we watched it and I was so mad at him afterwards that I took him to a midnight screening of Eyes Wide Shut as payback. <laughs> oh, good for you. <laughs> Talk about a cursed double feature. <laughs> wow. Cuban Eyes Wide Shut. Now, see, Eyes Wide Shut, I, I took is just Stanley Kubrick having, like, ending his life on the best in-joke he could possibly do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Because think about this. He, he hired a married couple that everyone looked at as a front because everyone believes that Tom Cruise doesn't actually like women, which is one right. thing. But he's also a nutbar Scientologist, so <laughs> it's a front no matter what. He cast them in in a, like weird like horror sex drama and they don't have any sex for the whole movie and then the last <laughs> line before the credits roll is wanna fuck right. and then they roll the credits and I could just see Kubrick going there and going best filmmaker of all time motherfuckers I get to die now <laughs> and, you just, and you just know that if the camera had kept going for like 10 more seconds the answer would have been eh <laughs> Exactly, and and so that Eyes Wide Shut is not a good film, but I have a feeling Kubrick knew that, and was just like, how much of how weird can I make this shit? And that that movie was infuriating to watch. Yep. There's got to be um, some sort of film festival that programs great filmmakers blowing off steam movies or their eh fuck it movies like Eyes Wide Shut. I always think of Burn After Reading as being the Coen Brothers version of that. Oh, um, I love Burn After Reading, but it totally is that. It totally I, is. I love it like too, the, and it's such a lark. Are you thinking like the anti-blank check? Y yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Because at some point they had to pitch George Clooney's sex chair and have everyone go, yep, sure. Yeah, let's go. Like, I don't know. I don't know what George Clooney had to 
go to in his life to conjure the he was the exact level of excitement that any creepy dude in real life that was doing that would have when he was showing it to someone. He was that guy. He's like, ah, look what I made. (laughs) (laughs) I love that the movie shoots that. Like he's making some sort of bomb. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he's in there. Like, you're like, Oh, this is going to be something really cool. (laughs) Look what I did. (laughs) I I think one of my favorite things about like the catch 22, that is the acting profession is that they tell you, you know, like the better you do in life, the more your problems remain the same. They just get more expensive or more complicated. Like, well, there's the acting industry in a nutshell. You do off-Broadway plays like the previously mentioned Adam Driver did or, you know, Francis McDormand to graduate to a major prestige film released by a major studio that's getting all the press in the world to deal with the exact same kind of prop that you are absolutely dealing with in an off-Broadway play. I'm like, <laughs> when you're like creepy basement sex chair, yeah, I'm 95% sure one of those shows up per season in New York. Like that's, yeah. it's, it's oh, yeah. wild to me that that came full circle in, in that sort of way for someone like Francis McDormand. And it's, I, I think we don't talk enough about like, that really wherever you go, art is weird. Art can be weird. And I love that they made a genuinely weird freaking movie it's it's a great little film it's you, you you talk about directors blowing off steam and you know i i love them as directors but my favorite times with them is when like you can either be like so into them that you can't accept those movies like you're you're, yeah. you're only into like the fargo and like the big but but i love burn after reading i love the lady killers i love intolerable cruelty i love oh, um yeah I love Hail Caesar because yeah. they, they're all in jokes. Every single one of those movies is them just going, hey, people that don't take this 100% seriously, this is us <laughs> not taking this 100% seriously. And, you know, I the, the fact that the lady killers, he doubles down on that just being a cartoon. Like, yeah. you guys have seen it, right? Yeah. The poster of the old lady's dead husband the picture so i painting <laughs> that keeps changing its facial expressions like judging tom hanks throughout that movie is one of the funniest gags that they, and I, I don't know i just can't help but love that mess of a fucking <laughs> nut bar movie like the fact that you cast the nicest human being in the world as such a scummy bad guy mm-hmm. in, in, in tom hanks was so great in that movie yeah deep deep level messes are always <laughs> a pleasure to me like i always think of uh, torch as one of them oh yeah, yeah. Or torque i haven't seen me. that one torch oh, that is okay i knew what you were getting at gotcha it, it is there are moments from that movie that have stayed with me more than any of the hundred something oscar nominated best pictures <laughs> that have come out since that film was released Namely among them, the Fast and Furious style into the engine release of engine power-up shot that goes out through the back of someone's mullet. Like, are you kidding me with that level of brilliance? Or or the absolute non-sequitur of after Ice Cube murders someone? Mild spoilers for Torque, by the way. Uh, After Ice Cube murders someone, the woman that's been there the whole time just staring at the jewelry he bought for her ice cube screams bitch what are you staring at and she just goes baby i love you you can't write that it's just it's too 
perfect. I'm like, what, what is that? That's incredible. What Torque reminds me of, it's the kind of movie that like you used to get with like cartoons in the 80s where the concept would be created by one country or one background and then they'd hire like someone from a complete other country that doesn't speak the language to film it or animate it so you get like that weird mix of styles torque reminds me of like someone who's done nothing but make anime their entire life got like a fast and the furious movie downloaded into their brain and they said make us one of these and this is what they came up with like all right so, so you basically want this to happen sure that makes sense let's do that <laughs> Is basically what you get. Um, so I I'm getting texts that I need to go back to work. Understandable. Um, okay. So I was going to say is number one, this has been an absolute blast. Number two, we definitely have to do this exact matchup again, and I have to for be sure. on both shows because I feel like we could talk for like four or five more hours. I uh, absolutely agree and, and support that wholeheartedly. This this was a match made in heaven. I appreciate it. But before I end, I just wanted to give you guys one more time. Um, to tell the world who you are and where you come from and where they can find you. So I, I'll go, guys. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at OG Scotty T. You can listen to the Infinity Podcast. It's on all the platforms. And follow us at the Infinity Pod 1 because we're the number one Infinity Podcast. That's what we say because at the Infinity Pod is a deactivated Twitter or active Twitter account since 2012 that hasn't posted for seven years. We're getting that handle back in 2020. That's I what's going it. down. I have faith in you. <laughs> uh, and uh, you can find my stuff at, uh, like I said, my my podcast recorded, is Recorded Tomorrow. You can find that uh, at recordedtomorrow.podbean.com or wherever you download normal podcasts. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, the show is at Time Travel Pod, or my personal account is at The Dapper DM. Nice. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much, and thank you for shooting the shit with Chippa, and we'll talk to you guys soon. It's been great. Can't wait, man.